So we're going to wrap up this series called Lyrics. And for the last six or seven weeks, we've been studying the book of Psalms. And the reason we're calling it Lyrics because, is because all of the Psalms were either written as songs or poems. So it's a book of lyrics. Psalms is a book of lyrics. And, and we're doing this uh, un, under this premise. Music moves us. Like when God decided to create music, and I don't know when he did that, maybe way before the earth was created, but whenever he did, I think he knew, knew that human beings would be moved by music. I, th- I think he knew that. And, and so we've been talking about over the last several weeks that, that music inspires us, it makes us want to dance sometimes, it makes us relax, it cheers us up, it makes us scared, it makes us happy, sad, and it brings back all kinds of memories from when we first heard that song or that season of life that that song was in. And, and what we've been doing for the last several weeks is bringing some of our staff team up here and letting them share with you some of their all-time playlists, songs that have impacted their lives. I hope you've enjoyed that. Even Chris Patton, I hope you enjoyed his uh, playlist. And, and so uh, today we're going to end that not with anybody's playlist, but kind of with an all-time playlist. And, and you guys have probably heard of this thing called Billboard magazine. Uh, it's been around for decades and decades, and every year they rank the top 200 songs. And, and so I thought it would be fun to end this series and end these playlists with some of the top all-time Billboard uh, music chart songs. And this is the criteria for the, to make this list. Now, you're welcome. I'm not going to share all 200 with you, but but the criteria for these songs is they had to be in the top 200 all time on Billboard's music charts of consecutive weeks at number one. So these are big time songs. You know what I'm saying? And they cross all generations. And so we're going to play them. Um, Some of them I'm very familiar with. Some of them I'm not familiar with, but I wanted to honor all generations and styles and genres of music. And so uh, so here we go. All right, this first one is from this year, 2017. Let's hit that one, Mike. So this is Despacito. It's from a uh, good thank you. It's from Fonzie, I think, but I don't think it's that Fonzie. I don't think it's like Happy Days Fonzie, because that'd be weird. Yankee and then Justin Bieber sings on it also. This is the most recent song to break the barrier of 10 consecutive weeks at number one on Billboard's uh, top 100 uh, songs chart. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I have no idea why it's so uh, popular because I hardly even heard it until I was getting ready for this this week. But I'm sure it's an amazing song. And if it's your favorite, praise God. So, uh, anyway... Uh, the second one, uh, some of you will recognize um, from the early 2000s. Um, some people uh, treated it like as an athlete's anthem before they would compete or whatever. But uh, let's listen. I think you'll, you'll recognize this one. I see some of you bobbing. And it's okay to bob in church. It's not a sin. You won't go to hell if you bob to Eminem in church. I promise. I know there are probably no other churches playing Eminem right now, but it's okay. All right, so uh, Eminem, Lose Yourself. I think it went with a movie too. Is that right, Chris? There you go. See, are you impressed that I knew that? 
I have no idea how to do that. All right. So we're like going to change gears big time and we're going to change eras. We're going all the way back to 1977. And if you grew up going to the skating rink or listening to uh, late night dedications on FM radio, you might have dedicated this song. All the young people have blank stares like, who is this? That's Debbie Boone. In 1977, I was just a little kid, but I did have a crush on her. I'm just going to be honest. I remember her on the show Solid Gold. You remember the show Solid Gold, man? Or uh, Dick Clark's American Bandstand. I remember she sang that on there. And uh, don't judge me. Uh, anyway, all right, so we're going back even farther for the next couple of songs. This first song is from 1963, and I'm just going to call it like it is. If you don't like this song, you may not be American, actually, okay? And so this song uh, is one of the most covered songs of all time, meaning after this artist sang it for the first time, other artists continued to cover and record this song, and uh, I don't know why, it just, it just does something. It makes me happy inside, and I don't even think it's a happy song. But here it is, 1963, Johnny Cash. 14 weeks burns, at number one burns, on the Billboard the Top 100 fire, list. 14 weeks. The ring of fire. Yeah, I don't even know what this is about, but I just like it. It just kind of makes me, I don't know. See that part right there? That part right there gets me. All right. Next one is 1960. Came out a little bit before this one. And uh, when I was reading this week, I didn't realize that this guy was relatively unknown until this song came out. And this song put him on the map. And uh, you, you'll, you'll know as soon as he starts singing. Yeah. Now you're moving. Now all of you are moving. Chubby Checker comes on. And it's okay. It's almost like God loves Chubby Checker more than he loves Eminem. And that's not true. God loves everybody. There you go. Okay. I thought, I thought about planning like a, a flash mob in the room when we did that to freak you all, all out and everybody start twisting. And some of you are new who, who are new here to the bridge may have just run out. I don't know what you've done. But um, anyway, um, this, uh, this, we've got two more. So this next one, uh, 1977, uh, by probably the greatest band of all time. Um, this band was on my playlist originally, and all these other songs, we started somewhere in the middle of the song, so you would recognize immediately what the song was. This song, we don't have to do that with, because with the first note of the song, you're going to know what the song is, and if you don't, Shame on you. Here we go. Right? So you knew it. As soon as we started playing. Classic, iconic Hotel California by the Eagles. When I was a young Christian, uh, as a young teenager, I didn't believe in God and I didn't go to church. But once I did, Hotel California was one that all the Baptist churches were afraid of because they thought it was talking about Satanism because in the window there was the lady dressed in black on the album cover so they just assumed that was Satan I don't know what they thought 
And so I'm not making this up. Church youth groups, including mine, would take the vinyl, the 45 record of this song, and play it backwards. And the youth pastor would go, see, see, listen. Right there he said Satan. As if the eagles, when they were writing this song, got in a garage somewhere and went, we don't care what the song says, as long as if you play it backwards, it says Satan. It's not what they were doing. This is an amazing song. Uh, anyway, there you go. Eagles, Hotel California. And then this last one, uh, it's actually not the, the song that spent the longest at number one out of all these songs, but it's on the all-time uh, longest number one album in the history of music. Like this album, the whole album, was at number one for 37 weeks, almost one year it stayed at number one, and it's one of those iconic people, iconic songs uh, that you'll probably never forget. Even if you didn't grow up in the 80s, you got to appreciate this one right here. Wow. I wish you guys would do that during my messages when Michael Jackson's not playing. Just give me a every now and then, yeah. All right, thank you, Michael, for, for playing those. Um, we should probably pray now, and then we will uh, wrap up this series. Let's pray. God, thank you for music. Thank you for how you use it to speak to our hearts. And, Lord, every single person in here has songs in their lives that have touched them, that have made it on their all-time top list. And... Lord, I pray that today as we wrap up this series, this song that we're going to talk about today, Psalm 118, will become one of those anthems for all of us as believers, as people that are kicking the tires and trying to figure, out, figure you out, God, that we will take the truth in this psalm and apply it to our hearts so that when we leave here today, our perspective will be different, our mindset will be different, how we approach every day will be different, all because of the lyrics written in this psalm a few thousand years ago. So thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise and glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to drink water while we talk today. I hope that's okay. So if you have your uh, Bible or your smartphone, you want to turn to Psalm 118, we'll get there in just a second. I want to set it up by saying this. One of the most early phrases that little children learn to say are the two words, thank you. And, and what's interesting about those two words, when, 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 uh, when a little kid says thank you, the ironic part of that moment is they're really not thankful. Because sometimes, even at like two or three years old, they don't have the capacity to really understand gratitude yet. All they're doing is repeating what their mom and dad have told them to say, right? They, we've programmed them when someone does nice things for you, when someone gives you something, you say, thank you. And, and, and that's what they do, right? And ironically, not a whole lot changes when we get older. Let, let me show you what I mean. When someone holds the door for you, you just feel obligated to say thank you. Right? And, and if you're anything like me, and if somebody does that, and you walk through and you're too busy, then you feel guilty for 30 minutes that you didn't say thank you to that person, right? Even if 
you're not really grateful. But there's something in you that says, I should have said thank you. The cashier gives us our change at the checkout. Thank you. Someone lets you cut in line at the checkout. Thank you. Someone gives us a Christmas gift, one that we didn't even really want. And we say, oh, and, and, and that's when the Oscar nominees come out, right? Because we go, oh, socks, oh, thank you so much. These are just like the ones you've given me the last four years, and they're amazing. And, and, and here's, we're not thankful. At least little kids are honest when they open Christmas presents, right? Because if it's something that they don't want, they tell you. You've seen the videos, you've, you've probably experienced it in your own home when a little kid opens a gift and it's like underwear or something. I saw this terrible one the other day that this mom and dad built up this present to their son, like a five-year-old son, so big. And, and he's like, is it one of those things that I really want? And they're like, yes, oh my gosh, you're going to love it. And this is cruelty, like parents like this should be put away, but... Um, He opens the present, and not only is it not one of the things that he wanted, it's a Barbie. His parents tricked him with a Barbie doll. And the kid throws the Barbie down, starts crying, and runs off into his room. And listen, I'm not saying that we should throw tantrums. I'm just saying that we need to think about the way we think. We need to think about our thoughts and ask ourselves... Am I really being grateful in this moment? Or am I just repeating something that I've been programmed to do since I was a little kid? This passage that we're going to look at today talks about the reason for our gratitude. It, it, it tells us that we should be thankful, and, and, and not just the, the last weekend of November every year. We should be thankful for a lot of things in our lives all year long, but it also tells us, what we should be thankful for. And so there's so much good stuff in this passage. I first want to read the whole text, then we'll come back and break it down. We've emphasized some words for you in here, and we're not adding or taking away from Scripture. We're just pointing out some stuff in case you aren't totally awake this morning that we don't want you to miss. So let's start reading Psalm chapter 118, beginning in verse 1. This is what God's Word says. Now give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Verse 2, let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Verse 5, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. Now let's go back and start from the top today with that first part of verse 1, and it's going to be on the screen again for you, and this is what it says. It's, It's got a command first. It's not a suggestion. It's not, hey, you know, if you're bored and don't have anything else to do, give thanks. It's saying, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Now let's call time out there, because I believe with all my heart, even on a holiday weekend, you, you came out and you're sitting here in church, but I'm not sure everybody in this room believes that last part. I know I'm supposed to be thankful, but the part about God being good, I'm not sure I buy that all the time, especially in my life. With what's going on 
with what I'm facing right now, I don't feel like God is good. But, but he's not asking you to think about your feelings. He's asking you to think about the truth that is God. Your circumstances aren't always good, but God is good. The, the, the way your life plays out may not be how you planned it. But two things, even if your life is not turning out like you hoped it would, it doesn't mean that God is not good. And the other thing it does mean is, by the way, this was never about you to begin with. And one of the ways that you and I can can be a lot more grateful is to begin to understand that this life we're living is not about self-pleasure. It's not about self-medication. It's not about making sure we get ours. It's about bringing glory to Him. And one of the ways we do that is through serving other people. And another way we do that is in every single circumstance in our life, being thankful. And it doesn't mean be thankful for everything. It means be thankful in the midst of everything. And so if you want a prayer to practice over, over the coming months or even into 2018 as you go through your life that will help recalibrate how your brain thinks about this life that you are living, repeat this, memorize this. Thank you, Lord, because you are good. I don't know that everything around me is good right now, but you are good. That's where our hope comes from. So what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve is we're going to talk about the difference between people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ and understand that hope that he is good no matter what's happening in my life and then people that say, no, I got this, I'm going to do it my way, I don't need you, God. There's a big difference between those people because one group has a hope that cannot be explained with human words. It's a hope in knowing that no matter what my circumstances may look like right now, God loves me and has a plan for my life, and he's good, and that plan is good. Not everything that happens on the road to that plan is good, but God is good, and the plan that he has for my life is good, no matter how bleak it may look right now. Verse 2. Now, this is interesting because we're going to repeat a bunch of stuff here, so look again. The author, four times he's going to say it. Here we go. His faithful love endures forever. He says it again. His faithful love endures forever. Then he says it again. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, let them say this. His faithful love endures forever. And then in verse 4, he says, let anybody who fears the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Four times in three verses, the author of this psalm says the same exact things. It's like when I was in elementary school and I would get in trouble, uh, maybe even into junior high, one of the forms of punishment that was placed upon us when we didn't follow the rules is this thing called writing sentences. Do you guys ever have to do that? And it was one thing to sit down at my desk and have to write the sentences and like the sentence, well, for Steve Ferris, it would probably say like, I will not be mean to other students. I will not throw rocks at girls. I will not talk during class or whatever, you know. And you just had to write that sentence over and over again. And the theory was, if you'll just write it over and over and over again, you'll learn it in your head, you'll understand that's wrong, and you won't do that anymore. 
The opposite is happening here in Psalm, but it's the same principle. The author is obviously trying to tell us something. And I think what he's hoping is the people who read this now and thousands of years later, hopefully when they read this the second, the third, the fourth time, it will burn into their minds and their hearts that his faithful love, God, the God that's good, no matter what's happening in your life, his love is faithful and it will endure forever. And so what I want to do is is say that again together, just that statement. His faithful love endures forever. And I want you to say it with me. So we're going to say it on three. But when when you say it with me, I want us to emphasize that last word forever. And then we'll talk about it. So here we go. One, two, three. His faithful love endures forever. Forever. And the reason that last word is important is because I think most of us humans, we buy the first part. His faithful love endures. There's something that's been taught to us as children. There's something that's downloaded into our souls that says God's love endures. In other words, our translation would be God puts up with a lot, man. God will endure a lot, but I think that's what we think. Like God's awesome and he loves me and he's really forgiving and he will put up with a lot, but there's a limit. One of the greatest phrases any of my mentors ever taught me, I sat across a table about 20 years ago and a man looked me in the eyes and said this, you cannot out God's grace. You can't. The, in fact, the Bible talks about the only sin that makes it impossible for you to experience eternal life in heaven if you accept that free gift of salvation. The Bible says there's only one sin, and you know what it is? Rejecting Jesus Christ. Rejecting the gift. The the gift of grace is offered to every single person in here today, no matter how much baggage your story carries. No matter how dark your life feels right now, Grace is the gift that came with little baby Jesus in that manger. It was a gift of do-overs, mulligans, a fresh start. And and I know what you're thinking, because I battle this type of thinking too. Sometimes we fall victim to the same sin so many times that after we commit that sin, we have this conversation with ourselves as if God can't hear us, but he's doing the proverbial, I'm right here, right? And we go like this, well, that's it. He's not going to put up with this anymore. How many times is God going to forgive me for this same sin? And I'll tell you, one of of the conversations that Peter had with Jesus, when Jesus says, or Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm tired of this. How many times am I supposed to forgive that guy? Seven times? And the reason he said seven, he thought he was being holy because uh, seven's a number of perfection. He thought he was impressing Jesus. And Jesus, with some sarcasm in his tone of voice, says, not seven, 70 times seven, for the same exact sin. And, and so if we humans are supposed to forgive 70 times seven, think about this. How many times will a holy, loving God that loved you so much that he sent his only son, his perfect son, to die in your place? 
How many times do you think he's going to let that one go? Now, it's important. Grace does not mean the absence of consequences. We get that one wrong too, right? Us humans are going, grace? That's amazing. I can live however I want and nothing bad will ever happen to me. That's wrong. If you do bad things, bad things will happen. Maybe not every time, but there are consequences for every action in our lives. And so we can't look at God when we have committed a sin or made a poor choice and life falls in on us and crumbles around us. We can't look at God and go, what about grace? Because he's looking back at us and going, you got all the grace you need, but that, you caused that. And there's a different kind of grace. There's a grace that allows us to endure very difficult things that happen to us, even when it's not our fault. Every person in here today has had something happen in their lives that has caused pain that someone else did, and you didn't do anything to deserve it. You were the innocent bystander, but it fell on you. Grace, the same grace that baby Jesus offered us in the manger, the same grace that allowed Jesus to forgive his murderers as he hung on the cross is the same grace that's available to me and you to give to others when they harm us. It's only possible if you hand over the keys of Jesus Christ and let him live within you because we humans don't have that capacity. Grace is not hardwired in us. We have to receive it first so that we can give it out second. Does that make sense to everybody? Forever. His faithful love endures forever. Man, that's really, really good news. The problem with the line of thinking that his love endures for a long, 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 long time, then he's going to get ticked off and zap me or whatever, the problem with that line of thinking is that's human thinking. That's how we think, right? For example, the parents in the room. Most parents are really long-suffering, right? We, We have a long fuse. Our kids can do the same things over and over again, and we're like, let's don't do that, okay? Or that's not nice, don't hit your brother, or whatever. But eventually, we all have a cap on our grace. And every parent in here, if you're not, come tell me, because we need to write a book together. But every parent in here has reached that point with your children where you just blow your top. And you're hoping nobody's watching. And then afterwards, you're like, I'm the worst parent in the history of the world. And the reality is, you're not the worst parent. You're a normal parent, right? That's, that's human love. His faithful love endures forever. There is no limit. So if you walked in this place today thinking God's in heaven with his hands on his hips, shaking his head in disgust at you, going, how many times are you going to fall for the same thing? That's not the God of the Bible. His arms are open wide. And the expression on his face is compassion and love. And he's saying to you, it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to keep settling for that kind of life. I died to give you a brand new life, a life of hope and peace that you never imagined was possible. Look at this on the screen. Don't place human limitations on a holy, supernatural God. He's not you. He's God. Don't place those limitations on him. Your love might have limits. God's doesn't. And I know there may be people sitting here today that are saying, well, wait a minute, Steve, isn't, isn't God also a just God who hates sin? What about that part? He is. 
He absolutely hates sin. Well, then how come he can look at our sin and not hate us? Because of the cross. That's why he sent Jesus. To wipe out all those sins. That's why he did it. Was to pay the price that you and I couldn't pay ourselves. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Psalm 118 verse 5 says this. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. There's another good word. Forever and free. Now this verse tells us a few things, so I'm going to walk through them real quick and then we'll wrap it up. First of all, unfortunately, verse 5, the very first three words of this verse tell us, you will have distress in this life. A few weeks ago, in this very series that we're talking about in Psalms, we had this conversation. We live in a broken, evil world. No one, no human walking around on the face of the earth should ever be surprised when bad things happen because our world is broken. The catch is you can't allow your focus to be on the things of this world that are broken and evil. You have to keep your focus and your gratitude toward the one who is good no matter what's happening down here on earth. That's what allows Christians to live a life of joy, pure, genuine joy, no matter how bleak the circumstances of their life may appear. That's what provides joy, is knowing that God is bigger than my distress, God understands my distress, He relates to my distress, and this distress that I'm walking through is temporary. So I shouldn't let it impact the way I see this world. You will have distress. It's inevitable. It's either here now, you're walking through it right now, it just left, or it's on its way back again. That's just the way life works. And if you'll get honest with yourself and accept that, that that's how life on this broken earth is, you won't be so angry and frustrated when bad things do happen. You just go, it's part of the deal. Until I spend eternity in heaven with with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, it's going to be broken and bad things are going to happen. And sometimes they're my fault and sometimes I didn't do anything to deserve and they just fell on me. Yet, he is good. He is good. Second thing that this verse tells us is that we have options during our distress. Like when, when distress comes, you got options. And we love options today, don't we? We love having options of types of cars to buy, options of what kind of gadgets to have in our home. We, we love having options with our smartphones. We love options. And, and the writer here is giving you options. When distress comes in your life, here's what he did. Verse 5, it says, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord. Now, that's one option. When difficult things happen in your life, you could turn to God. But you don't have to. God has never and never will make anyone love him or follow him. If there wasn't a choice involved, it wouldn't be love. You, you can call on God when distress comes, or you could go like this. I've got this. I'm just going to pull up my bootstraps. I, hey, God, stay over there. I got this. I don't need you right now. Don't meddle in my stuff. I'll call you if I need you. You could do it that way. You know how I know? 
millions and millions and millions of people every single day, that's how they live their lives. I don't need you, God. I got this. And they function. But there's a, please don't miss this, there's a difference between functioning and hope, peace, and joy. Those are two different lives. You can settle for functioning, existing, just hanging on till heaven. Or you could say, no, I, I'm going to choose in my distress. I know where I'm turning. I'm turning to Jesus. So you have options. It's up to you. And then the last thing is kind of sobering. The last part says, the Lord answered me and set me free. And that, that's, a, that's a good word. He set you free. But you might be sitting there thinking this morning, set me free from what? Good question. Set you free doesn't mean free from problems, unfortunately. That's what we wish it would mean. Like, if I could rewrite part of the Bible, this is one of the ones I would write. It would mean problem-free life. We would all be nicer. We'd all be more pleasant. We'd probably sing more or whatever. But that's not what it means because we live in a broken, evil world. And problems are going to come. Here's what it does mean. It means that God can set you free from the oppression, the deep. Hello, there you go. The doubt and the fear. I thought, man, my voice really went fast. <laughs> Don't miss this, okay? Listen. It doesn't mean that you're free from problems. What it does mean is that God can set you free from the oppression, the depression, the doubt, and the fear that comes with those problems. Here's what it really means. Look at this. With God on your side... Your problems don't have to defeat you or define you. Leave that up there, Liz. That's what we're taking a picture of right there. With, with God on your side, and He is. He's a part of your daily life. You, your problems can be hard, but they don't have to defeat you or define you. You don't have to walk around saying, I am what happened to me. I am the mistakes that I've made in my past. That's not true. Jesus died on the cross for all that stuff so that you could say, I am defined by the value that a holy, supernatural God has placed on my life. And the value he placed is priceless because he gave his only son to die in my place. Look at this. Because of Jesus Christ, you are free to live in peace, hope, and joy no matter what comes your way. That's good truth today. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care what you were thinking when you walked in here. You may have your arms folded and go, God's not saying anything to me today. I hope you'll let him say this, because that's truth. Because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, you can live in peace, hope, and joy no matter what. As we ponder the choices that we have in the midst of our distress that is coming, because it's not problem-free, I want to read one more passage from you for you from uh, Psalm 118. It's verse 24. It's not on your screen, but listen to this. You'll recognize this. Same, same passage, same verse, same psalm, same, same song or poem that we've been talking about today. See if you recognize this. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Ever heard that one? It's pretty familiar, huh? But sometimes... We skip over the most important word in that whole sentence. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad. 
The most important word in this whole sentence is not rejoice or be glad. It's this. This is the day. God has not promised you tomorrow, and yesterday's gone. You can't get it back. This is the one day that God has given you. So rejoice and be glad in it. Why would we walk around kicking rocks and mumbling to ourselves about how bad our lives are? God has given you this one day, this moment in your life. Soak it up. Rejoice in it. Be glad. I want to show you a quick video, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. Uh, some of you have, may have seen this guy. Uh, his name is Nick Vujicic, okay? And uh, he was born with no arms and legs. You may have seen this guy. Uh, he famously went on Oprah a handful of years ago with Pastor Rick Warren, who's one of my mentors and one of my spiritual heroes. And uh, earlier in that episode on Oprah, they edited Rick out because he said Jesus. He took Jesus out. <clears throat> but Nick was the main person on the show, right? And for whatever reason, they couldn't edit out what he said. And do yourself a favor and go Google later Nick Vujicic on Oprah, right? But this is a video that he made, and it's pretty old, so ignore the quality of the video. But listen to what he says about being thankful and see if it changes your mind. Listen to this real quick. I wasn't ready. but I'm very thankful that I have my little chicken drumstick here. <laughs> People freak out when they see me for the first time. It's so cool. I was at a water slide um, all by myself. Everyone obviously at the bottom of the slide is looking up and waiting for other people to come down. And here I come and they're freaking out. They're like, you know, like this. And I was so tempted to look at myself and go, what happened? You know. times where I sort of looked at my life and thinking, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And you keep on concentrating on the things that you wish you had or the things that you wish you didn't have. And you sort of forget what you do have. And there's no point, I believe, in my life where I wish I had arms, legs, I wish I had arms, legs, I wish I had arms, legs, because wishing won't help. But what I've seen in life are just a couple key principles. And the first thing that I've seen is to be thankful. It's hard to be thankful, man. I tell you, when I was eight years old, I, I sort of summed up my life and thought, I'm never going to get married. I'm, you know, I'm not going to have a job. I'm not going to have a life of purpose. What kind of a husband am I going to be if I can't even hold my wife's hand? It's a lie to think that you're not good enough. It's a lie to think that you're not worth anything. I love life. You know, so many people come and say, how come you smile so much? And I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> but it's very simple at the same time. You see, it's very hard to smile sometimes in life. There are things that happen that you don't know and you don't understand. And you don't know if you're going to get through it. 
you know, you go through your storms in life and you don't know how long this storm is going to be. And today I want to share with you some principles that I've learned in my life that you can use in yours. The band's going to come begin to play and we're going to practice something that Jesus commanded that we do that helps us be thankful. Right before Jesus died, he gathered his 12 disciples or followers together and he had dinner with them. And he passed around this bread and this wine. And he basically told them this night that this represents what's about to happen to me. My body is going to be broken and my blood is going to be spilled to give you hope. And years later, the Apostle Paul was sitting around the table or the room with more believers, kind of like we're sitting here today. And this is what the Apostle Paul said about that night. He, he sets it up and he tells them, hey, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he had this dinner and, and this, is, this is what he said, Paul the, the Apostle. He said in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On that night when he was betrayed, bad things happened, betraying. The Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are, allow- you are announcing and remembering the Lord's death until he comes again. The two ordinances that Jesus commanded before he ascended back to heaven were that we celebrate baptism, which we did today, and that we celebrate communion. And communion is just a churchy word for taking a little cracker and a little cup of juice and remembering. Remembering what was done for you. Remembering the hope that's been given to you. Remembering that you cannot out God's grace. When, when we do this in just a second, you're going to go to these tables. You can go as a family. You can go as individuals and just have your own moment right there. You can kind of walk off to the side if you want. But if you, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Just when you do it, remember. And I think if you'll really take time as you hold that cup and, and that cracker to remember what has been given to you, the natural response that you'll have gratitude. You'll be thankful because you were given a fresh start. You'll be thankful because even though you've fallen for the same sin 1,892 times, God's grace is still enough. And he hasn't given up on you. He hasn't written you off. Just remember. Let me pray for us. And then feel free as we close today and the band leads us to do that and then you can go back to your seat. Jesus, thank you 
for love that we humans cannot understand and explain. A love that said these broken people mean so much to me that I'm going to climb up on a cross and offer my life up as a sacrifice so they don't have to experience that pain of paying for their own sins. We deserve to, but you paid it in our place. You canceled our debts. And for that, Jesus, we are eternally grateful. And so in this moment, as we take this little cup and this cracker, Jesus, we remember what you did. And we remember today what it means to all of us, the freedom that it gives the hope and peace and joy that it provides. Nothing else in this world can provide what you can, Jesus. So thank you. It's in your name we pray.